It's Trashware time. I'm your host, Gray Holger. And I'm joined by what will probably be a familiar voice to most of our listeners, Mr. Mike Connolly. I like the idea that there's somebody out there who only listens to Trashware and nothing else. And has even listened to the episodes yeah, that you're on. That, I guess you're right. So I guess either way, you got to get hit with my dumb voice. So sorry, everybody. Hello. This is this is this is crazy. It is. It is. It's a taste of my own medicine. I uh, am so used to doing the interviews now. I don't know what it's like to be asked questions anymore. Well, I got some questions for you. <laughs> oh, no. Well, let's <laughs> see what happens. I know. I know. Really an exciting time. Uh, but I guess, we, you know, we got to start where it started. You know, we've talked about yeah. way back when we did the Taro Machine episode, we talked about getting into noise. Yeah. And discovering... Mertzbau and the and going down the rabbit hole of the kind of stuff that we love now. But what did, what did when did you start putting gear together? Did you play in bands before making well, noise? Well, no, I mean it was pretty much noise immediately though. Gear was not something that entered my brain or was something I really knew anything about, so that's why guitar was what I used for for so long, uh, you know, and still certainly, you know, it's still in the mix, but guitar was the first thing. And the very first thing I did was, you know, noise. I mean, it was with guitar and, and with, you know, drums and stuff like that. But my guitar was never in tune. I had, you know, <laughs> magnetic tape on it, this kind of things. And then, and even then, like, I didn't, I didn't know what, I didn't have pedals. I mean, when I was 18, I didn't, I had a guitar and an amp. That's all I had. I didn't have pedals. I didn't have anything. There was a built-in distortion on my tiny amp, and that's all I ever used until I until I got a death metal pedal, which that again that had nothing to do with knowing that people use that for noise. It was I went to the guitar store, the music store, or whatever, and there it was this this pedal was on sale for dirt cheap. And I asked the guy about it. He's like, oh, that's, there's, that's unusable. It's, there's no, like, no, you can't, it does, it's too distorted. It's too this. I was like, oh, I'll take that. And so, and that was, and so that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was literally my setup for the longest time was guitar and death metal pedal and just untuned guitar and guitar with magnetic tape on it and, and that. And so gear was nothing I ever, knew anything about or understood and then and then getting a one of those radio shack for channel mixers was that was been the first real piece of gear i got the classic yeah radio shack i, mixer. I love those i would i would love to have one of those again actually but then and then it just became you know that and and maybe a tape uh, you know, a, a tape player run through those through death metal pedal. And that would have been the zombie setup. Okay. Yeah. The, your, your like earliest project, earliest project zombie without an E. And I've always, I will always state that it did exist before the band zombie without an E, the band that sounds like the, the, the <laughs> right the, the band <laughs> you yeah. know the 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 goblin sound the esque band yeah carpenter and, goblin style uh stuff that's yeah uh, some good records oh yeah yeah and they're actually they're really nice and and i 
when I found out about them, I emailed them. I'm like, hey, and this is before they had records out or anything, or maybe they had one thing out, but I don't think they were on relapse yet. Somehow I came to know them or know, or know about them. And I was like, hey, I use this name as well. Obviously, what we're doing is completely different. And obviously, the na- we got the name from the movie. So you <laughs> yeah. know, it's not like it's... So I'm like, I, I don't care. I'm going to probably keep using it if you guys are cool with that. And they're like, yeah, it's cool. But then I think then they got they had a record out on relapse or something. I was like, well, that's silly. I shouldn't use this name anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, so I dropped the name after that, but the first, the very first tour I did was zombie. I did it right before the first air police tour. Was that with mammal? With mammal. Absolutely. We did like two or three weeks and then I think had less than a week off and then did the hair police tour with mammal. Right after that. And so those were my first two tours. Was that guitar, death metal pedal, tape deck yes. zone? Yes, totally. That was that was exactly oh and oh and, and and vocals. So 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 the zombie setup would have been a tape player, guitar with magnetic with like tape measure. It would tape I keep saying magnetic, it was tape measure. Tape it was uh, tape measure was the strings through and then 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 vocals and then basically i would run if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah i would have i would have run all that into the radio shack the mixer into the death metal pedal the de- and then that into an app so i just ran every <laughs> so every that's exactly how i would have done it uh so I, I was like everything ran through everything went into a mixer then into a pedal <laughs> that's so insane i haven't thought about this for so long but that is that's what I, that's what that tour would have been yeah yeah man I- guitar with tape measure for strings i every guitar i've ever owned i've like from like my first guitar when i was like a teenager i always did dumb shit too there would always be some stuff nailed to it i mean oh yeah when we did or when i did the trashware with dillaway it was he was talking about like bolting a, that mixer to his his mm-hmm. guitar uh I, you know chains and and springs and tape measures and and any, anything that could make a weird sound just to have near the pickups and in the format of a guitar. And uh, when I was doing chain fight, it was like guitars face down on the floor and just kind of kick them around with your feet in order to get some, some sound source. I, I've been thinking about getting a guitar again. I don't think I'll nail anything to it. Well, yeah. And I'm, that's certainly where I'm at now for sure. But before, I mean, it was, I just, I would just get the cheapest guitars possible yeah. you know, epiphones and squires and stuff like that and then yeah there's i definitely have i don't think i still have it but i had a bass with a with a big string i mean sorry a big like coil spring that was one of the strings uh, i don't i don't think i still have that but but yeah i also liked the i like well i like the physicality and that was such a big part of especially those early days was the physicality so that's what i like about guitar that's what i liked using it, be, it i liked having to be physical to make the noise it's a very expressive instrument it's one of those things that i think it's hard to get like with a synthesizer you know contact mic and a piece of sheet metal can sort of do it but you're getting you know, there, there's a depth that guitar has that is sort of different. Uh, for better or for worse, it sounds like guitar a lot of the time. Right, right, right. In an, in a normal way. So you're going to have that, but it also it can, you can do a lot, I think, with guitar. And, you know, we talk about guitar noise and guitar as an entry point. And like, 
Solmania, Hijo Kaiden. Yeah. Like <laughs> those are Absolutely. guitars. Those are guitars. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times and that they're using that stuff and, and custom built guitars and modified guitars. And I was never as good at, uh, as Masahiko at having a modified guitar. That's for oh, sure. yeah, No, 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 no. Mine is like, yeah, it was total trash is total garbage. So yeah, no, I would definitely, you know, his is incredible, but yeah, I loved that. And I loved the physicality and, and really, I mean, I just had no idea how people did anything, especially when first getting into noise. I mean, I, I, I mean, I still basically have no idea how Mersbau does what he does, but I certainly didn't then. I had no idea. You are one of the, well, I, I would say probably the first Trashware guest who categorically does not think of themselves as a gear person. Like, you not are not a all. gear guy. <laughs> nope, nope, uh, and I still don't think of myself that way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe Dillaway doesn't think of himself as a gear guy, but he's got a modular and a uh, bunch of tape echoes that you're a gear guy, no matter what. In fact, we have a mutual friend I've been talking to who claims he's not a gear guy, who's been asking me for gear recommendations and has some of the craziest gear on the planet. <laughs> and I'm like, you're kind right. of a gear guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> Right, right, right. I mean, I, fi- I, I sort of find the things that work for me, and I sort of stick with those for a while. But, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I li- like... Listening to Trashware, especially the episode with Shane English, I mean, it was truly like listening to someone speak. To, it was listening to two people speak foreign languages that I had no... <laughs> I loved it. I was like, this is awesome. I have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, but, and that's actually most of the Trashwares I kind of feel that way. But I like that. I mean, I love that. I like that everyone has these different takes on gear. But for me, the whole thing has always been it do, the, it's not the gear, it's the person behind the gear. So whether or not it's a guitar, whether or not it's a tape deck, whether or not it's whatever, it's going to be what that person puts into it. And I've just never, yeah, I, I think, I think when I was younger, it, it just didn't occur to me that you could, it didn't occur to me that I could have a setup like Mersbau. It just, it just didn't even, I, it just, that to me was not possible. I don't, and I don't know why <laughs> I felt that way, but it just, it did feel that way. Yeah. It felt like it wasn't possible. They were secret things. And unless like you went to a guitar shop to buy a death metal pedal. You didn't read a review on a noise or pedal website or no. see YouTube demos of it making things sound nasty or see it in someone else's setup. That's the way a lot of us find out about gear. And so like for yeah. me, my, and, and these options weren't really available to us nearly like they are now. So for my early stuff, you know, I bought stuff off Craigslist from guitar guys. So I wanted with like a compressor and a really crappy weak distortion and like a multi effects thing with a chorus and like stuff that I wasn't going to use for making harsh noise really. Right. But it was what I could get. It was like cheap off of some, you know, a couple people off Craigslist and that's, that's what you had <laughs> until you start learning about right. more stuff and networking and finding out about these things or seeing stuff in photos and being like, I bet I can track that down. Or if I see one of those, I'm buying it. Uh, but while I do really associate you with guitar, there's another instrument that I often think of when it comes to the Mike Connolly sound and maybe <laughs> not as much these days, but air organ. <laughs> Yeah, that yeah, Aragon was definitely something I used in Failing Lights for a long time. And yeah, again, that was a perfect example. I mean, that was just something I I got an Air Organ in Lexington. At I don't Pops. remember where. Probably. <laughs> I'm I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. at Pops. <laughs> and I I loved 
the again, I, there's a physicality to it. I loved the air. I loved the air. I loved the actual, and I and I could understand it. Like yeah. So so I I really liked using that, and I used it for a long time. And you know, again, like I said, I think I go through eras of the gear I use, and you know, I do feel I just I think I probably maxed it out. You know, as far as what I thought, what I could do with it. But, you know, it's funny because I, 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 which I, I never ever do. I don't listen to old stuff almost ever, but I was putting up the Failing Light CD on a transitive, putting it up on the band camp. So I did listen to it and it was interesting because that's 10, that's well now like 11 years old. And in my mind, it was going to be so different from what the newer Failing Light stuff sounds like. And it is different, but it's like this lo-fi tape version of <laughs> kind of where I've gotten. So it's like yeah. the technique still feels similar. It's just the gear I use is different and it's just a way to to move to move on. You know, I, I, I liked when I liked that when we talked to Jay Howard of Circuit Wound, how he Basically uses the exact same setup he's used since day one. It's insane to me. That's insane, and I, but I think it's cool. It is. But- it's awesome. I I just I don't use the same setup from day to day. Like I put my stuff yeah. away and then pull it back out and reset it up. So I don't having like a thing that's the thing. I it doesn't. It's not how I've ever worked. Yeah, I mean, I do. I do use the same setup in in chunks so i so but i i think it's cool that someone could do that i understand the thinking behind that but yeah it's sometimes it's just it, it, you i do need at least something new every once in a while to at least just give a maybe a new idea but but not always i mean i mean yeah there's the the air organ setup i mean that was for a long time for sure probably from I mean, certainly the beginning of Failing Lights, but I used it before. In in fact, the in between Zombie and Failing Lights, when I was figuring out what name I was going to use, I was just going under my own name, and this the three inch on Chondritic, uh Dim Moon. Yeah, that's oh, that's Aragon. That's all Aragon. So I mean, I, so I was using that. God, I just remember that as we're speaking. I would not have. If you would have told me to, I mean, I was thinking about stuff. You did prepare me for this, but I forgot about that until literally the second. Yeah, Dim Moon. <laughs> Dim Moon and Werewolf Break I put out under your, oh, your right, own name. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. I have no idea what Werewolf Breaks. Uh, I remember what, it being harsh. I have not listened to it in uh, yeah. quite, a, quite a while. There's a copy right no. here somewhere. I have a, I'm sure. have an archive of all, all the contradicting <laughs> stuff. I'm missing like two releases. Oh, um, my God. I'm missing like. Oh, probably. Well, I know half. you're missing Titwank. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. I, I'm missing certainly half of God's Hunter. I'm, I'm missing the Chronicopia disc that I put out. It was Chondritic 6, and I recorded it on my binaural microphones at C-Pop. It was like Cornucopia and Ultra Milkmaids tour or something. That was a band that I, I came across on Discogs again recently, but hadn't thought about in they have forever. A, don't they have a drone 7-inch? I think so. I think that's why I came yeah. across it. I was like, oh, yeah, old, I saw Ultra Milkmaids in like... 2001 2002 well i was i was always so bad with gods of tundra releases because you know we'd have so many people staying with us just give them a copy and then it was the last one yeah yeah i'll make my i'll make one for myself oh yeah here you gotta have this it never happens lesson to everyone it never happens you never make the the copy that you're gonna you're gonna make (laughs) 
I've never done that. I've never once done that, and I never will do that. So I, I'm much better about that now. But yeah, I've never done that before. Now I put aside five copies of everything I release on the label, and it's strictly so like when a good friend or someone I really want to have it or something is looking for it, I have one. Right. And then I and then I know that those are like the that my my copies. Um, just for posterity and like I, I do the design for a lot of stuff. It's nice to have physical archive of the stuff. Um, yeah. And I think I think I was way more and I think it has to do with all the touring we were all doing back then. I was way more fluid with releases and doing things for a tour and trying not to be precious about releases. And I still have that mentality in a way, but not nearly like I did before. And I mean, that, that, that mentality goes into more of the actual recording of things, not in the actual releasing of things. I, I, I like being a little more controlling about the things that are released now, whereas before, Oh, and again, a lot of it had to do with touring. A lot of it was like, you want to have a couple new things for tour. And we were doing tours. I mean, multiple times a year. So it would just be like, Oh, make a new thing, make a new thing, make a new thing, make a new thing. And there's something to be said for that. But I now it's that's not how I operate. It's kind of funny how that feels in retrospect and realizing that you probably could have made the same thing or like an older thing and had it for tour as well. Cause uh, the turnover on audiences, you know, half the people you see are your friends and they've already got it and whatever, or you're going to give them one anyway. So it's not a, a viable quote unquote merch item. And the other half are people you might never see again and they might grab the, the tape anyway. So I, I remember just like breaking my back to get merch ready before tour, like just screen printing things, printing things, cutting, dubbing, burning, assembling, taking. I took a paper cutter on tour to cut oh, inserts because I wasn't ready. You know, like I was I wasn't we, prepped for tour. It's terrible. I remember you had, in the van. You had tape decks in yes, the van for a tour. We had tape. We did. And we also had we also had. We picked up obedience cuts. Oh, yeah. LP. The well, not not. It arrived at my house the day that I had to leave for tour. So we were stuffing those in the van throughout the tour. <laughs> so yeah, it was always stuff like that. And you know, there was something that there was that was just how we operated. But I I actually like the freedom now of not feeling the need to do that. Yeah. Well, that's. I think why it's nice to have some, you know, I, I like having something in print or having like a CD that's around that you can just take and put on the merch table. And that's, yeah, yeah. It, it lowers the the sort of pressure. But during, during that time, we were all just putting out so much stuff, too, that it felt normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't now. No. <laughs> At least to me. <laughs> uh, touring with Mammal. That's a different styles. The- yeah, 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 yeah. Did I mean, you uh, are- did you pick up any tips and techniques from Gary? I know his setup was like one of the more convoluted things. I should talk to him sometime about the mammal setup because it was always weird to me. I, yeah, and actually I would say that no, because it was so confusing to me <laughs> yeah. that I actually don't think I got any tips from Gary. But I loved those stories were so fun. I mean, they were because it was the beginning. It was the first ones. But yeah, I would say generally no, because... I, even thinking about it now, I don't even remember. It was, it was, yeah, it was confusing. It's still confusing to me to think about. I mean, he, he and I had collaborated numerous times, uh, I think live, and we did those couple tapes. Uh, certainly 
been to his studio numerous times and seen yeah. his setup and stuff. And I still have a limited understanding of exactly what <laughs> was going on with it because it was in the, and, and I've sort of, I think I have actually picked up something from him on that in like the terms of how he routed stuff it was like, I hadn't really, I'd done pedal chains and feedback loops and stuff, but his setup was really simple and really kind of based in this specific way of being able to manipulate the sounds with a couple specific pieces of gear. And uh, we'll find out more about that. If he wants to talk to me, I'll, I'm going to ask him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be great. But even like something like pedal chains, like I don't, I still don't really, I, it's, I don't really operate like that a little bit more in yellow gas flames. And honestly, Tara has more of a pedal. She has actually a pedal chain, whereas I don't, I have, I have just a one thing, but it's still not, I still don't really operate that way. And and also I think I think an important thing I, I was talking about the physicality of guitar and I still think for most everything I do there there needs to be the the source I still need to be physically playing the source whether or not it's a bag of bones or even playing a synth I'm still playing it. Right. You're and not taping a key down and letting it drone. You're, you play right. the same. Yeah. It, right, right, right. And or yeah, maybe, I, maybe I'll tape one key down and play. Right. Uh, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just even like some sort of signal. I, you know, I, you know, there's, I, I like the movement and physicality of, of creating. I think that's with the air organ. I remember too, because if you push down the more keys you push down, the weaker the sound got because it would be more of like vents or ports that the air was coming right. out uh, from, you know, it's just a fan in those things like whirring air through reeds, I guess. Or, yeah. yeah. And uh, right, right, right. And something like that. And, and even back then, the way I mic'd it was I broke a hole yeah. <laughs> in the air organ and shoved a mic in there. So like, I honestly, I don't, I, my first contact mic was a Veridan Weapons contact mic. Oh. I never had con- I never had contact mics before. I did not know that. Never had them before. No. I had R- Radio Shack mics and actually I still do use Radio Shack mics for things. I still use it at, I still use them use one in uh Yellow Gas Limbs, but the contact mic yeah, I never had one. I didn't know how to make it. I I I don't I can't make things. I don't or I mean I to say I can't, I, you know, you can do anything you put your mind to is what I've been told, <laughs> but it's just not something I, it, I, I mean, yeah, I guess if I actually sat down and attempted to make a contact mic, yes, I mean, I could, it, it, there is, there is a way to make a contact mic that I could follow instructions and make one. It's just not how I think. And it's just not, it's just not something I, 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 I prefer to grab a variant weapons. you know for me for contact mics there was a the guy that did that project erinus e-r-i-n-y-s there's a cd on tesco called manhattan dwelling oh you 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 showed it to me i do know what you're talking about this is one that i I had thought about doing for noise extra sometime because it was really influential i mean it's uh it's the it's divided into two halves and tracks from uh, it's tracks like f- tracks made with field recordings from around his apartment in Manhattan. And the other half is all things 
recorded in his apartment, like sound sources. So it's like through the radiator and the fridge and this and that assembled into this like dark ambient CD on Tesco in this big kind of a five folder thing. But I had got that CD pretty early on and, or, you know, whatever, whenever it came out and it, he'd listed contact Mike in it or something, or he had a website that had a, a tutorial and it was like GeoCities quality website. We're talking like, yes, you know, whatever, love it. 2000 or 99, whatever that was. And it showed you how to make contact Mike with parts from Radio Shack. And that was like where I started was just, okay, I can do this. Yeah, sure. This guy's got this. There's pictures. I can make this thing. And I made really crappy ones that I broke all the time. And I found some old photos from like the early 2000s and see that gray Radio Shack cable and some duct tape holding the mic onto a piece of rusted tin. I'm like, yep, that's that was what it was. You know, I've made like over a thousand contact mics, I think now in my life, which is really crazy to think well, about. I've al- well, I've always worked with people who were good at that kind of stuff. So like Robert Beatty, yeah. he made contact mics. So I've all, I, you know, I, and I think that's just, I have that. I like always, I like people having their specific things and then coming together. And I've always liked to surround myself with someone who, is good at that kind of stuff. I can, I can talk, I can ask questions or I can get information from a more gear person to help me and this kind of thing. I like the, I like everyone kind of having their specific areas of expertise and then coming together. I think that's, I think that's a good, I mean, that's a proper way for a band to work certainly. And, you know, always good to surround yourself with friends with different skills and talents and, yeah, you know, going back to kind of the beginning is guitar being such a that was my main thing, but all I mean, but also vocals. I mean, and I thought that was certainly something I thought of as a piece of gear were were what was vocals. Yeah. And that I I think I think that comes from, you know, and even the guitar. I mean, I liked the idea of making noise or approximating noise in the form of a band. You know, you know, we just talked about Neubauten. I love that Neubauten has the setup of a band, guitar, bass, yeah, vocals, there, drums. There's a bass guitar, there's percussion elements, there's, there's vocals, there's song structure. I mean, they might be unconventional yeah. in terms of like rock music, but there's, yeah. there's, there's structure to those pieces. And I and I loved that, and so b- leading into getting into full on noise, you know, it was certainly that kind of stuff, you know, and certainly you know stuff like the birthday party, where to me, I mean, the first time I heard that, I was just like, you know, listening to it now, you're like, it feels, you <laughs> yeah. know, you're like, well, a p- partly because you've, you've heard it so many times throughout our lives, but when when I was sixteen or whatever and heard it for the first time, it was it tr- that was like this, this, this it, it seemed like the craziest thing, and I couldn't understand how those guitars sounded like that, and so I always loved that, and then even getting in once getting fully into noise something like to live in shave in LA was such a big thing for me because again it felt they operated like a band and I liked that and I liked that there were vocals and I liked that they had this rock mentality and then you hear it and it's there's nothing rock I mean there it's it's the feeling right like it's the feeling of 
of rock without the rock, <laughs> you know, like, and I loved that and I loved that. And so I think all those things combined were, was why I liked using guitar and vocals as my noise making gear. It's funny how they, they do have to change over the years. Cause I, I, I could probably do, I don't, I couldn't do consistent, say hair police shows at this point with my vocals. Yeah. I couldn't do those. I couldn't do that two nights in a row anymore. Whereas dude, I mean, we were doing like month long tours and, <laughs> and with no breaks. Yeah. So, so the vocal thing, the vocals, they, they go, they're like the first to go. Cause it just, you know, I mean, it just literally with age, it's, it, it they go, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's never been a, a focus of my work, although I use a lot of breath, I think in William Black Sand Desert, that's always been a big thing. Uh, and of course, cleanse has vocals, but it's, it's, you know, power electronics, whatever. It's not a, it's not stylized vocal. It's like processed vocal. Whereas you had a more stylized vocal thing that required your, right. the use of your vocal cords, not right, yeah, right, right, right. Not like, Oh yeah, I put, I just put the flanger on it and talk like that's, that's all the vocals for a lot of people. <laughs> right. Uh, for noise stuff is like, yeah, I just talk into a piece of scrap metal and it's the, that's the vocals. And of course I'm totally fine, but you're, mm-hmm. what you're talking about was more like, I, I always thought of it as sort of, a, you know, black metal inspiration for vocals, yeah. uh, stylistically, at least whatever mm-hmm. the actual inspiration and process was, is, but it lent no, that for sure. edge to it. For sure. And, and I just shredded them. I shredded my, my, my voice basically, you know, drums for me were always a sticking point in noise and I, I dare say they still are while I love tons of music with drums. And while I like, like drum machines a lot and rhythm drums in a noise band is all, it's not the stuff I tend to go to when it's, when it's more pure noise and hair police was one of the bands that actually changed or like worked on changing that opinion. (laughs) And it's, the drums really worked <laughs> somehow you know, for me. Yeah. And it is funny because I, it's, it sort of just happened that way. And I even, I always jokingly would say like, I don't like, I never even thought of us as having drums. Like as funny as that sounds, <laughs> like it was just the sounds we made. And even the, even the idea of having drums was basically we, it was that was never the original intention. I mean, when we first got together, I I doubt the very first session had drums. I I I really doubt it did. Maybe it had a tom or a floor tom or something like that. But we we I guess our our first show must have had drums. But the yeah yeah because I think that's what it was. I think we were basically we had a show coming up. And so we wanted to put something together that we could do as a show, you know, some, at least something focused. And so we did that. And then our first out of town, we had some out of town shows. And so we basically put a set together that would end up becoming what blow out your blood is. And it just kind of happened. It wasn't, it, I don't even remember talking about it. It was just kind of like Trevor played drums. I had strings, Minner had strings and Robert had some noise making stuff and I would do vocals and then we just put the set together and 
we then we just went from there. I mean, I I don't know if it was ever the intention that we would always be, you know, have drums. And there's records that don't have drums. A lot, a lot of stuff doesn't have drums. But live, we pretty much always, we did a hand. We've done a handful of shows that didn't have drums that were more just straight noise, but not many. Yeah, I don't know that I've seen any of those, and I've seen a, yeah, a good I don't, few heavily I mean, shows. Very, very minimal. Once or twice, maybe we would think it would, we would do like a different set, but you know. But I liked it. I liked that it we were that we were kind of one of the few bands with drums during that era, and I, you know, I'm sure that turned some people off, and that's fine. I have no problem with that. But again, we I think we I think that's part of. I think everything between having guitar, between having vocals, between, you know, the way we played, you know, I'm sure that, you know, it was not a lot of thought went into it. It was, it just kind of is what happened. It was separated from the, a lot of the other bands with drums at the time, even because you had like the flying Lutenbachers and lightning bolt and pink and Brown and, you know, that, that style of band that was sort of like, that's, that stuff that I don't think of as noise. Really. It's, it's noise adjacent. It's certainly noisy and, and weird, but it comes from this sort of different place than like, you know, facial mess or, or like whatever. Well, well, right. And I think the thing, especially for us, we were, we just absorbed it all. And so, you know, so those 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 projects that was certainly something we were that was part of what what we were into at the time, and Mersbau and Masana. I mean, I think Masana in a way was probably as far as the straight noise stuff was probably the most the thing I thought about most in the early days, as far as the physicality again. Yeah. I mean, w- watching those Masana videos, that I, I would certainly, there was, I would have said certainly back in the late nineties, if someone would ask what my favorite noise thing was, it would certainly have been Masana. Uh, and yeah, and seeing good alchemy and kingdom of noise was yeah. like the, those performances still stand up to this day of like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. There's, there's, oh Yeah. I, I've seen a lot of noise sets and I, nothing has quite compared to like, I wish I was at some of those shows. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And so, I mean, I've always been, it's always been just a mix of stuff that I, I, I never really drew lines, especially back then. I never really drew lines as far as like in my mind, like if you liked Mersbau, you also liked lightning bolt and you also liked, I don't know. It was I, I, in my mind. There wasn't. It was just. Oh no! I'm into this. I'm into this insane sound. Whether or not it's straight noise, whether or not there's is a band, or whether or not there's vocals, it's just. I love this totally insane sound, and so I always. It was always a jumble for me. It still is. It still is, and that's you know that I still. I don't really draw lines, at, you know. Yeah, I left out another important drum band, and I'll be kicking myself if I don't at least mention Harry Pussy. <laughs> mm. Well, for sure. I mean, right? Harry like, Pussy is yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For Which sure, is a band I do sure. think of as a noise band. It's there's a weird divide totally. in my brain with some of that stuff, and it's just sort of the the more rock based stuff. It had a, it had an appeal to a different crowd than the more straight noise 
stuff back then and now it's you know right no Harry, Harry Pussy was definitely huge and again that's it's you know Harry Pussy to live in shave in LA like that that section of stuff or whatever was huge uh, for me back then well we gotta and, do a we gotta do a shave episode sometime well for sure for sure no that was that was definitely a, a big big band for me so guitar yeah Air organ, tape deck. Yeah. Ah. Doesn't sound unlike what you're using these days, but I think <laughs> right. uh, another another kind of Connolly staple I remember was a mixer with effects built in, like a Behringer with the sure. effects back sure. then. And I think that contributed to the sound at a, at a certain time pretty heavily, and too. A hundred percent. And again, I think that has to do that. That certainly had to do with not not knowing anything about gear. So I didn't, I never had, I was, I, I could just do this thing that's self-contained. Yeah. And again, my philosophy of the person behind the gear, not the gear itself. It didn't matter that it was this very simple thing. And fully, again, be, just like all the releases, it was because of touring. And it was, I needed something easy and something that was durable or that I could easily replace Just get a guitar center. Yeah. If it was broke. So that's certainly where that came from. I recently try, I recently was curious if I could do anything like that again. And man, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't get it again. And maybe it's just because maybe I wore it out in my brain, you know, and even, I think out of all the sounds from the two from the two thousands era, I mean, you can hear it. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, but you can definitely hear it. I mean, I, I think I think there was certainly good stuff done with that that thing, but it's it's a very distinct sound that I don't know. Like, do you see people doing that anymore? Very rarely. There's. That sort of thing, but no, I think it's been sort of moved past yeah. in terms and or people incorporate it as part of a larger whole and not yeah. sort of the thing. But it's certainly in the mid 2000s, the, I, I remember a lot of sort of no input yeah. mixer with effects or, yeah. you know, and, and a couple tape decks or something. Yeah, definitely. And again, it had to do with ease. It had to do with durability and it had to do with my complete lack of understanding about gear and 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 i think that's when you know a lot of people you know like yourself or a lot of people were you know were really getting in to to synths and synths became such a big part of a lot of people's setup i just didn't understand it i and i still don't uh, but it, it's i really didn't then and and so i thought i just thought the the easier the better for for me for what i what i wanted to do it's never been my approach with even with playing live i've gotten i've simplified and Mm -hmm. got things specifically for live that are lighter smaller easier nowadays but still i take too much gear and okay yeah i was gonna say you i mean i mean i think you anytime we did any traveling together i mean i think you you would you you got to points where you whittled it down pretty good yeah, I remember we we went out of town and we stopped by a friend's house and I bought a that ARP Odyssey and I like used it at the next show. It was like not working. Right, it was covered in dust. Right. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, I remember that. It, it, I had to travel home with a new synth. 
<laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that like launched a new kind of era. You know, you said get, getting a new piece of gear and the inspiration. I talk about this a lot and and interface with the new piece of gear. But you brought up synthesizers. Yes. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. Favorite things to talk about. <laughs> hey, I really, I really, I have, I really like them now. Well, yeah. I like, I like. I like what I have. Yeah. You know, I still, I mean, I still see a lot of stuff, even when a lot of stuff that you do, and I still don't understand it, but there's no question that acquiring the sequential circuit six track, as I always point out, one of Marco's main pieces of gear, I think you pointed out the other one. There's, oh, the, the Krumar DS1 or DS2. Yeah. I think the DS1 maybe. I mean, it maybe he had other stuff too, but Krumar is an Italian synth, so you know you know he had that right. thing fired up. The acquiring the six track definitely opened up a new new for new that that opened up basically the era that I'm currently still in for sure. I, I remember you telling me you were thinking of getting a synth, and then I happened to have a friend that was selling yeah. a, a mutual friend of ours that was selling yes. uh, that particular synth, which was. Uh, I had played on numerous occasions, so. Well, it's great, and then, and really, I mean, honestly, and then an impo- actually an important part of getting to this, getting the synth, the kind of the bridge between the two eras is clay rendering, and that's when I learned. That's when I learned way more about gear and understanding how to use things to the effect that you want to use them. Even though it's you know what I always jokingly refer to it as my music band, it. It actually, I think, more so than anything, taught me how to use things in a different way and use things in a way that to get the desired outcome rather than before, say, using like Aragon tapes and input mixer, I was like almost approximating what... I was trying to get for. And I think that leads to cool results, at least results that you don't expect. Absolutely. But once when clay rendering started, when we started working in clay rendering, I had, we had desired outcomes for the songs and the sounds. So I, I started to understand how to get those desired outcomes, not just by accident. And so working in clay rendering, really is the bridge between the two. And like, to be honest, like clay rendering is as much as an influence on yellow gas flames as it is on filling lights, even though it maybe seems very disparate to something like yellow gas flames, but it's not because it's, I like with yellow gas flames, we know we have a desired outcome and we sort of know how to achieve that outcome. Whereas in the previous years, it was more, Let's see what happens. And and so right. so so once so getting the six track was important because I wanted a synth that or we wanted a synth because Yotera does the 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 keyboards in clay rendering, but we wanted something that we could play. So the six track you can play it. It's not a modular or right. whatever. It's it's keys. And I understand keys. And so and Tara understands keys. So Getting that six track, and then it certainly it opened up so much and made me understand so much more how to achieve the 
outcomes I'm looking for. So it was huge. It was huge. I can relate to that. I think for me, mm-hmm. uh, pure ground, I mean, really yeah. like I, yeah, yeah. it's when I became, uh, very cognizant of what was in my studio, how to use it, how to set it up, uh, how kind of aux sends and I'd use aux sends before for minor things, but like how that could work in my studio and, and be really effective and a lot more about sort of mixing and yeah, just, there's just a sort of general level of knowledge that came with it and expanse in gear. Plus, you know, that's kind of when I got my first sampler that I really used. I had a couple others that I didn't like and started learning how to hook stuff up via MIDI, not just control voltage, which gives you a lot of options for things uh, usually linked to a clock, which is never too desirable in noise to have everything kind of on the same clock to me, at least in the noise I make. But I I learned so much from doing that and trying to like, okay, well, we need a patch for this song. So I have to design this patch that sounds exactly this way and tweak it and then remember it. And then also find ways to vary it while I'm playing and bring it back and sort of something I've been doing in hive mind for a long time, but having to do it in this new context. Well, yeah. And I mean, dude, literally I didn't understand how tempo or BPM worked. I didn't understand how you put a song together, to be honest. I had no idea. And it was when I, it was when it was, I understood like, Oh, so if I play something to a click track at a hundred BPM, I can, I could, I could do multiple things at a hundred BPM. And if I do it on that and then I layer those, it, it fits. And I, that to me was so mind blowing. And, <laughs> and that was what 15 some years into making sound. I, I understood how to actually put a thing together like that. I had no idea. I had no idea, but kind of like you're saying, it's like, not that I, not that that's something I use in, in you know, guesses, but certainly use that. I use that technique in in failing lights for sure, and MTDNA. What so it's maybe not as totally you know structured like a clay rendering song. It's certainly I use that knowledge. I never understood that before. I never understood how people did that. I didn't know. I I it was. I remember when it when it when I was like oh. That's how people make songs? Like, I didn't know. <laughs> no idea. No idea. I'm actually really thankful that uh, we sort of both came to that after mm. a decade making noise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it informs the noise in a different way than I feel like people who grew up and learned how to play piano and guitar or drums or whatever, and then they approach noise in a They have a completely different manner of approaching it, and I feel like they don't- yeah. And this is not for everybody. I'm not to any listen, anybody listening. I'm not saying this is everybody. I'm just saying that like people definitely with people I've met that started out playing music and playing in bands when they go to make noise, they, they have a different, I don't want to say less free, but it is like a more musical approach to making noise, yeah. which can lead to awesome results, but it's, you have to totally. sort of unlearn and unlike tell someone who can really like a guitar virtuoso to play guitar poorly. You know, they, it's right. not a thing right. that they know how to do anymore. They've trained mm. themselves out of it, the muscle memory and that sort of thing. And it it's, you can't, I can play a guitar much worse than someone who can actually play guitar. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, and for me, so my, my actual guitar playing, so 
I took I I got a guitar when I was thirteen, something like that, thirteen or fourteen. I you know, or, you know around there, junior high, and I took guitar lessons and I learned I learned the Lemonheads version of Mrs. Robinson because it because <laughs> it had a, a, the kind of open chords E G C. Okay, then I learned Black Sabbath Paranoid. I learned Kiss Rock and Roll All Night. I learned Helmet Unsung. Oh, nice. And the riff, the opening riff to Twist of Cain, Danzig. Still to this day, the only songs I know. And still to this day, the only chords that I know. I don't, I never, (laughs) I never, I never got, I never went past that. So I still know the things I learned when I was 13 and that's it. I, I don't. A very a few thing a few techniques here and there that I developed or <laughs> learned over the course of especially in clay rendering, but mostly no. I couldn't like I couldn't be I couldn't play guitar in a in anyone else's thing. I could I couldn't play someone else's st- song for sure. Uh, Smoke on the water and nice. uh, and Iron Man is about as good as you'll get from. Yeah, me I didn't ever. even learn Iron Man. <laughs> I didn't even learn Iron Man. And I and I don't and I don't. No, I could I could still play all those. I could still play all those songs. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, so 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 I never I I my I'm such a lughead with guitar. I I'm so I always thought you knew how to play guitar. Like no. well, you know, I've like, I know I mean, I've known not yeah. for some time that you don't <laughs> kind yeah. of know how to play guitar. But yeah, I had always I mean, I, thought that yeah. you knew how to play. like like Dillaway. You can play guitar. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's weird sometimes when he like could bust out just so like some killer. You know, like, dude, you play that whole ACDC song, or whatever. Like, what, what? Right. Right. Yeah. No, I can't. I can't. And and yeah. Uh, yeah. So no, I never really, really learned truly how to play guitar. I learned the chords that I know, and that was it. But again, that was like that's. I thought that's. I always liked the. I think, it, I, if I'm. I always think of it being a half Japanese liner notes or something Jad Fair, but it was liner notes where it was basically like, if you put your finger on this string at this point of the guitar, it makes this sound. And then if you move it up, it's one higher. And then if you move it down, it's one lower. And that was, that was, (laughs) that was the instructions on how to, and that made sense to me. I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) And I always liked that. So, You've mentioned a number of your projects yeah. today. Yellow gas flames, failing lights, uh-huh. clay rendering. Y'all. How empty DNA. Yep. How do those differ for you in, in the way you approach them or like the gear you're using? So they, it's sort of, I've been able to, especially in the recent times, in the past couple of years, I, have separated the sort of separated the sounds and the approaches that that I do and that I use. So even and it took a minute to sort of figure that out. I mean, even the probably the failing light sets from a few years ago from living in LA, but before the CD came out. We still had a lot of noisy elements to them, and 
but I think I was still sort of searching for what, how I wanted to incorporate all these things. And I think when I, and it wasn't like some sort of decision made one day, it just sort of happened to separate everything. So basically yellow gas flames is the noise and failing lights is the ambient and MTDNA sits somewhere. MTDNA kind of is almost the thing that sits somewhere in the middle of all of it. It's a little more but, industrial than than yeah. either of the other projects in in approach. So I think of it more in that realm myself. Did, well, yeah, no, definitely. But it sort of incorporates things I learned in clay rendering and learning using the synth. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? It's the Los Angeles Serial Killer Synthesizer Club. That's what. You know, that's, that's, that's the location. That's where every, that's where MTDNA is created in that club. But it's, I guess, I guess separating all the things that I'm interested in and all the, all the, all the desired sounds and approaches that I want to use, I've separated them into multiple projects rather than I think at a time failing lights, it would kind of be whatever I wanted it to be. Sometimes it was more noisy and industrial. Sometimes it was more drony. Whereas now it's like, has a very specific thing that it is. And I mean, that was even the idea of what the name of the project is separating that and, and, and coming up with new, new names. I mean, yellow gas flames is the lineup of the haunting Right. And, but it's not the haunting. And <laughs> and I think you having a new name was a huge part of that. And even with Failing Lights, there was a I it was a debate whether or not I was gonna change the name because it's been around for so long. It's had so many different things. I've done shows, I've had so many releases under that name. I ended up sticking with it and now I am sticking with it. But there was a time when I, before the CD or right around coming out here where should I just have a new name? Should I just start fresh? And, you know, I, there's arguments back and forth with both things. Having the new name gives a fresh take on things. Having the old name, it's an established name. It's, it's, you know, I don't know. It's so with failing lights is the thing I decided to keep. And then with all the other projects, it was basically the new name, but yeah, I think separating the approach under all the different projects has really helped me focus that. And there may or may not be a, a new project that is something totally different from all these things that is also something that I've loved forever and I can actually, I feel that I can actually make it now, uh, but that's still behind the scenes. But yeah, the, <laughs> so the approach, but the approach for say something like, like MTDNA is like, you know, I, it's hard because so, so much of the way I still operate is I don't think about it and I don't, <laughs> I just, I just, I don't. And so with MTDNA, especially this year, this past year with the moon crawls above and there's something else, a couple other things that have been submitted, it, if you if 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 I was if someone were to say, go make, you know whatever MTDNA is like, go make that you have go make a thing with a synth and some drums, with the theme of serial killers. I don't know if I I don't know if I could do that. I think I would just get it would just like I would my brain would kind of explode. 
But I remember even making the Moon Crawls Above tape was just, I just went into the studio and I was like, oh, I'm going to make some drum patterns and then I'm going to, and I'm going to make some synth, industrial synth over it. And it just happened. Like, like, like it just sort of happened. Yeah. And, and I still don't know how it happened. Uh, I still, I'm still <laughs> unclear as how I make everything. It just sort of happened. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but again, that, I mean, MTDNA, that's a hundred percent. I couldn't have done that without clay, without having learned what I learned in, with clay rendering. Right. For sure. Right. Because it's a more song approach to like creating and composing things. Sure, sure, sure. And while, yeah, it's definitely industrial, I still don't even know what it is. Like, yeah, I mean, industrial is like certainly the, a good term for it, but I still like kind of don't know what it is. <laughs> right. I mean, like it's just so, uh, yeah. I still don't fully it's understand DNA. it. It like makes sense yeah. in its, in its universe. <laughs> right. And yes, I, I, it's also, uh, it is difficult to, pinned down but i think that's fine yeah. i think that's good and i yeah. think that's where a lot of interesting stuff can lie like i like traditional harsh noise or power electronics yeah. kind of bands but i also like stuff that really blurs those lines and you're like what where does this sit like i know yeah you know maybe take out uh every slaughter release and line them up by like what their what style they are you yeah. know what they're close to and look at that. And it's like, I, I don't know. Yeah, this sure it's This stuff is definitely death industrial. This stuff's definitely power electronics. There's this weird middle ground here and this stuff's dark ambient, but it's kind of, you know, like everything when you're talking genre is, is so fluid and it, and it changes like, well, yeah, totally. And I would actually say slaughter is a perfect example of, what when I think of MT Dana, when I'm making MT Dana, I'm thinking of Slaughter and I'm thinking of A tracks and I'm and, and and maybe more well and maybe more Mortar Machine right. with something like MT DNA, but that I'm certainly thinking of that. There's no question. And and I mean, obviously, like I said, even the actual synth itself, you know, super inspired by Marco. And I'm with you. I, I like traditional stuff and I like stuff that. I I can't help that that part of me that ref, that does the thing that doesn't fit into certain <laughs> things nicely. Hair police, MTDNA. I I think clay rendering is like that. I think it's I think it it's I think when once with something like clay rendering, when you think it's this, it ends up being something else. Or even when we set out to make something, it ends up being something else. So for better or for worse, that. I th- I I I can't help that part of me, right? But with something like Yellow Gas Flames, I think it is more in in a tradition of American noise that it's. I do think it has distinct individual qualities to it, but I think it's. I'm. We are fully aware of our inspirations and fully embrace our inspirations, and for the a couple current behind the scenes projects for both myself and Tara. It's certainly, we understand and embrace the influence in, in these new projects. Right. Right. So I like, I like traversing those things. And then again, just always going back to the people behind the gear and not the gear itself. It's always going to come across as, is, is a different thing because it's us or cause it's us working on it. 
Uh, yeah. Know, so I li- I like working in the tradition and then breaking breaking off. You know, that's one of those things that like I've said before of trashware, but that it's it's sort of about these processes. And it, yeah, okay, you want to go get a death metal pedal because we're talking about it, sure. Right. But what you're going to do with it is different than what I'm going to do with it, unless we're both just running a contact mic through it. But even then, what am I miking? What am I, you know, like all, all these different things, all these different factors that can go into how it sounds, how you mix it, how you recorded it, how anything. Uh, you mentioned a, a tiny amp earlier. Yeah. And I, I had like a gorilla amp when I got my yeah. first. I think my first guitar was a Harmony. I'm left-handed, so... <laughs> Uh, cheap guitars barely exist because they're always more expensive because they're left-handed. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I had a, a Gorilla amp and a Harmony guitar, and I wish I st- I had that Gorilla amp for a long time. That was like my first. Before I got a, a keyboard amp at some point, like a custom keyboard amp that was a thing I used for a long time. But before that, it was the Gorilla amp, and I'd cut the screen off of it and like would yep. use it. I'd use it for everything. I'd throw, I'd throw crap in it. I'd throw a contact mic and some chains in it and play something back through it and use it for a lot of processing. And it's one of the joys of having a basement for a long time. Like when I lived in Michigan, I had basements for most of that time. Just when I lived at, uh, well, when I lived at the, at behind the green door, it was a, a warehouse. So you could make whatever kind of sound you wanted. And when I lived at, the cove for like six months before moving to LA. I didn't have a basement. Otherwise I had a basement the entire time I lived in Michigan. It's 13 years uh, or a place I could make loud noise. And I don't have that as much here in LA. There's no basement. There's, you know, there's a, we, we, I know we both have our studio set up in the best possible place we can in our houses, but it's not even like dedicated space for just that. And well, my ours is ours is completely dedicated <laughs> to it. <laughs> well, it's dedicated, it's dedicated to it, but it's not a space that one would normally assume oh, a, re- right. a recording studio would be. Oh, in. no, totally, <laughs> like, totally, totally. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> no, 100%. But I, I love my, I think I want to say my tiny amp was called a Matrix, it was some just off brand, you know, yeah. whatever. And I loved that thing. And God, I, I mean, who knows where that thing is now. I'm sure I just trashed it and threw it out on a tour at some was, point. Yeah, I know. I know mine stopped working. I mean, you you probably remember the wall of amps at Green Door. Like, yeah, <laughs> I went through so many things of just like buying well, them, a- killing them, using whatever you could, whatever was cheap at the guitar store, buying it, buying stuff off people. And that well, that's an actually another thing. Just talking about amps in general, like I was never, I I was never interested in the volume game that was never something that i thought was super important now i think that for certain things it it had to be like like the you know prurient feedback amp air i mean that there there it, that had to be as loud as it was that there was no that was part of the part of the gear was the volume yes but for me, I just I well again, it was almost like, well, we I can't we can't beat that, so I'm not gonna try. But so I just for me it was always about, well, if if the sound's right and if especially in a band, if everyone's levels are where they need to be, it's going to be it's that that's the desired effect. I mean, dude, I, I don't I didn't understand like what 
PAs were like on our first tour. Like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know you could put things through the. I thought PAs were only for vocals. I didn't right. know that you ran things through PA. I didn't understand that. Like I, I when I pro, in high school when I went to see. I probably thought that it was everything was going through their amps, and that's what I was <laughs> oh, hearing. Yeah, Not yeah. Every, you know what I mean? Like I didn't understand that. I just saw amps on stage. Like I, just, I didn't understand that that you were going through a PA. Like I didn't. I, I never. It just, that just never crossed my mind. You know, like it just didn't. <laughs> and it wasn't until some later tours where I understood that. Oh no, yeah, you <laughs> going through I, a PA. I got spoiled. <laughs> kind of early on you know within the first couple of years of getting to play like at the empty bottle and this kind of stuff where you're like that's probably oh, where i learned whoa. yeah yeah that's probably where i learned the power of a pa or, or understanding how to use the pa was probably the empty bottle. yeah probably the empty bottle for i sure. mean we didn't take oh no i think we took like a 215 cab and like another bass amp on the first tour that we did actually on uh, that red rot lost a rail on hive mind tour that that was like the first big that i mean we drove to california and up to seattle and then back across the country and that was that was the first like real real tour i did that wasn't lo- local style you know get right. a like weekend warrior like go out for go out for a week or go out for four days and just hate what you can and come back which right. I miss that style, and there's really nothing close to Los Angeles. It's like five hours to Arizona, f- five six hours to San Francisco. San Diego's close, <laughs> but you, there's not yeah, the same like circuit in the Midwest. You could you could just do f- a bunch of five hour drives that were all connected, and then wind up back at home. Yeah, definitely. It's it's it is a lot different out here. I I don't know if miss it's the right word. I I don't know if I would do that again, but. I do. I mean, I have. I do have great memories of doing that, especially in the two thousands, in the in the in in the aughts, as they say. Well, I just um, did that with David Reed. You know, whatever a year ago, February, where we played L.A. SF and mm-hmm. San Diego. Not a huge thing, but it was sort of that that loop you can make, and it was really fun just to do a handful of shows and and come back and chill out. Uh, sadly, the last yeah. kind of shows I played. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think I've grown to appreciate the the one off uh, show. Uh, so, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It it is different. I mean, it just is different. There's just that that circuit is just different out here. Yeah, yeah. The vibe the vibe is also different. That contributes to the sort of the thing. Kind of getting back to the synth and getting back to the six track. Like I said, I still don't. It's funny because I, I, like I said, I still don't consider myself a synth person. I still don't consider myself knowing anything about synths, but I do have a, a few now. And it opened up the for, again, like kind of like going back to that thing of the desired outcome. I'm able to actually achieve the desired outcome now, as as opposed to approximating it. So with the synth, it just it's I still feel I play it the same way I would play the air organ. It's just it's now I I can control the sounds more. I have more options to the sounds and I sort of understand how to get the desired thing. And and that's I, I really love using that. I really love using the six track. What I like about the six track is I can understand it. I mean, there's still plenty of options with it that I've never utilized. And to be honest, Tara's a lot better at that. She's, she's really good at like, well, what, 
what 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 does this button do? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't touched that button. Like, <laughs> and, and because I got, I'm doing this thing. And she's like, well, what if I touch it? And then she touches that button and then does a thing. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that sounds awesome. She's like, well, yeah, there's all these options. I mean, and and I will say that I can't, I, I, I can't really understate. And again, it goes back to the, the, to clay rendering. I mean, Tara and I really understand how to work together and work each other's strengths and, and fill those strengths in. And so she's, I mean, she's been a, a part of, I mean, she's a part of the fan light city. She's a part of the new year's Eve dark ambient for sure. And with though, with that, it's, it's sort of, we just know our strengths. So the, there's two tracks on new year's Eve dark ambient that we, we really did together because it was, I sort of like, well, this is what I want. Let me show you. And then she's like, well, okay, so here's how you, here's how do we can achieve that. And so, you know, so we worked together on, on, on multiple tracks on that as same with, and same with Spirit Obscured. So have, so I, I do thrive on, ha- on, on collaborating. MTDNA is probably the most solo thing, but there's, but Tara still helps out on certain things with that, but I thrive on collaborating, but even with you, I mean, I even, again, getting the six track, it was like, here's what we, here's what we, here's what I want. I want a synth that we can play that will, that I can do two times in a row, you know, not so, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, I, so that I can do three times in a row so that we can do this. And you were like, well, here, this synth. And, and so I love collaborating with people whether or not it's getting advice or whether or not it's directly collab- collaborating right but you're insanely huge you're insanely huge for that with the with the veered and weapon stuff with just asking you about techniques and asking you about well what okay i want to do this what synth do i need or what pedal would be good and so i i i definitely don't exist i don't do anything in a vacuum i need i need collaboration and I need critique and I need, I need while, while I can sort of make something in a vacuum, I need, I need to then send it out to somebody to help mold it, whether or not that's Tara, whether or not that's you, whether or not that's Dom, who definitely the three people that I work with the most with ideas and with input. Right. Uh, I, I love that. I thrive on that. I thrive on, I thrive on other people's input and, and other people's expertise. I don't. I don't think that I. I know that I'm not. I can't do everything. And I know the things I can do. And I know the things other people can do. And I really thrive on working with with other people. The the synth too. The other thing is that I don't really do anything else. So it. I don't. I I like the actual sound of the synth. I don't really, I don't put it through a lot of things. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't run it through a thing and then run it back through a thing and then like I love when you talk about the things you do like that. I just that that still is like I don't understand it. So I like, I'm just like, well, I like this bare sound. This way I'm gonna use it again. That's that's the Atrax influence. That's the. I love that. I love when he's when you can just tell he he just hit he got a setting, he hit record and that's what you're hearing. 
I love that. I'm often just sitting here in my studio saying, I love synthesizers because I really, I'll just turn them on and like listen to them. And there's, you know, like let them do a thing. I can be working on something. And if I don't have a record playing, there's probably just a synth running and maybe I'll reach over and adjust (laughs) it a little bit. But yeah, I like to process things. I like to, I like to add a little bit of weirdness on top of it, but it's also, it just depends what it is like. Yeah, I think that everything sounds good. Run through this Ibanez delay. I always talk about, even if I'm not using the delay, if I'm just using the input gain on it. And so I tend to run things through that all the time to listen to them and they just sound good that way to me. So I enjoy listening to it. Uh, I also really like having like my effects set up here is very modular to where it's in a, it's on a patch base. So I can reroute anything at any time in my studio of like, Oh, this is going through this. I want to run it through these three things instead. It's it's like a couple patch cables on the front of a patch bay. It's not rewiring my entire setup. Now, that's not true of any pedals or anything, but any of my like larger effects units, any of my synthesizers that are in constant use are hardwired to that thing and it it makes a big difference to have like it's just accessible. Well, that's something that is huge and something that I think I always wanted to have. And then for whatever reason, and I, honestly, I would, I would also attribute touring to my setup. My studio setup was never stable because I was always touring. Yeah. So I'd always had to take it apart and, and, and then put it back together. And when you get over to the last thing you want to do is put it together or you're leaving again in a week, uh, whatever. So now since being here and since having my current studio set up, basically I'm, five five minutes would be almost the max of what the time I need to now go record something. It's very, I'm pretty much always ready, but, uh, but it's, it, like I said, I'm so big on zones that it's, I, I like, like right now my setup is designed for the uh, for the new project I'm working on, so I couldn't necessarily do. Oh no, that's not true. I could do. I, I mean, I guess I could do most things right now. Yeah. Um, but I think that's so important is to be pretty much. I don't. I, if I'm ready to record, I don't want time. I don't want it. I. I can't. I can't. I don't want, I, I needs to be like five minutes and yeah. then I am ready to go. And for me, and I know, I know it's not the way you always operate. I record everything. I've gotten better. Yeah. <laughs> since, yeah, our, yeah, yeah. since our talking, I don't even, Oh, it's the Hijokaiden allegory chapel, uh, trance seven inch. We talked about right recording oh, everything. Right, 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 right. So since yeah. that episode, I, I've made it a point. I actually, I say I'm better yesterday. I had made some stuff and I was, I recorded on my phone just to send like videos to a couple friends. Uh, but I didn't actually record any of it. And later in the evening I was like, that sounded so cool. Why did I not it, just hit record? It, it did sound cool. Cause I was one of the people who you sent yeah. it to. And I don't know why you didn't record it. And, and I, 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 there's no, the, I, there's just that, that can't enter my brain because I, I just never know what I'm going to end up using and whether or not it's even like a minute of something that I remember like, Oh wait, let me, I'll always go back and look and see 
oh man, I need, I just need, I need another layer to this track. Wait, I remember I recorded some stuff three months ago and, and I think there might be something in there. And then I go back in there and I find it. So I, I'm huge on recording every single thing. I, I don't, I don't, I won't turn on the gear and not record. It's just, there's just no way there's no, it does, to me that doesn't make, I think because of I it, it, a big thing for me was removing the difficulty in setting up. Like I said, when I lived mm-hmm. in Michigan, I had basements or I had a, you know, big sort of warehouse space where I could just leave stuff set up and it was set up and it was easy. Living in LA, uh, I've had no basements and not lots of space. And even I, when I had a practice space, we shared it with other people. And so you're not leaving anything set up there. There's a PA there or whatever, but you're not leaving your gear set up all the time. And so I've done that in this bedroom in my place is just my studio. So it's set up and ready to go at all times. Again, removing the, the labor of setting up and doing whatever. Now, if I want to set up pedals or some specific thing, of course I still have to plug it in, but that's different than like everything's kind of routed to the mixer, which is routed to the sound card, which is set up very easily with a cable accessible to record. And I have a two channel recorder in the room at all times to do just quick sketches or whatever. And having that makes it really easy to record. So I should be doing it, but also makes it really easy where I flip a switch and I have these power conditioners and they're they're I turn those on and everything in my studio is on. So every synth is right, live. Right. And it, so I can, I can go from hitting a power switch to making sound five seconds later. Yeah. And sometimes I do that just for fun and I don't think to record it. <laughs> and a lot of times I do that just for fun. It's become actually, it's like one of my things I'll be walking by the room and be like, ah, I feel like fucking around and I'll just go mess with the synth and like make something or grab a contact mic and whatever thing is on the, I wonder what this clipboard sounds like if I throw a contact mic on it and then I'm as there I'm, I'm jamming now. And I don't. Well, you're record not recording. It. <laughs> yeah. See, I don't. I. I. I can't. I. I. That. I can't. I. I can't comprehend that. Uh, just because I just not how my brain works. My brain works like you gotta record. And 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 that that maybe that goes back to always thinking about having to have five new releases for a tour. Which I don't do that anymore. But that mentality of just record everything because you never know maybe you only use a minute of what you recorded. Maybe you don't use it or whatever, but I think having it there is, I, I, it makes me, I I feel good to know that I have stuff there that maybe I can manipulate, maybe will spark an idea, but no, I, every, every, every time the gears on, it's recording. I don't think I've ever, I, I don't think I've ever once just, <laughs> just played something. I don't think so. Even when I'm doing it, it's recording. And sometimes it's total crap. Sometimes there's two hours of just garbage that I'll never use. And whatever, I recorded it. Yeah. Storage, especially digital storage is so cheap. It doesn't, it just doesn't matter to like right. to, record, to hit record. I know that it's just not in my habit. And part of this, and this well, is one of the things I talked about with doing the, the new records is sort of like, Wanting it to be intentional, having this desire of having, if I'm making something for a new record or for a release, I want it to be intentional and I want to set out and do this thing. But unfortunately, realistically, a lot of greatness, there's, there's things that sound awesome that I, or just me jamming that I really like. There's things that have been completely lost to not hitting the record button that I, I wish I could have had and released or reworked or incorporated into something. And I know that I just, 
It's like putting on your seatbelt, you know, uh, I'm, something I'm notoriously bad at. Uh, I, I, that I cannot relate to. I don't, I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've been in a, I don't think I've moved a car without putting my seatbelt on immediately. Yeah. Seatbelt saved my life when I was 18 and I still am bad about putting a seatbelt hey, on. Hey, seatbelt saved my life. Oh yeah. Total and stranded. Dude. <laughs> uh, motorcycles don't have seatbelts. So oh, that's true. They do have helmets. Uh, though. So, but also, so here's another thing I think is important with recording. So kind of what you were just saying with digital stuff, it's, you can kind of be, it can kind of be endless, right? Naming. I think, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a blessing and I think that's a curse, right? So when it's endless, it's endless, right? You can always add another layer. You can always, you can always cut this thing cut that little one second thing that you don't like, whatever. And I just, you know, do that all the time. But I think limiting yourself is important too. And that's, that's what we do with yellow gas limbs. Yellow gas limbs is we limit ourselves. Yellow gas limbs is recorded live to cassette on a tape deck, not a four, you know, not a four track. Though I would, I would, I would love to grab, I, I would do that. I would love to grab a four track and do that, but it's, but it's live to tape deck and there's no, there's no going back kind of. Now, I think that that's certainly, I've, I've operated like that before, certainly back in the early 2000s. But now I think that we can do it and have a goal and achieve that goal live. Whereas I don't know if I could have achieved the goal, that goal live, or at least what I want to do with what we want to do with Yellow Gas Flames. I don't know if we could have done that before, but I think now we can. And I like the limitations of it being live. And hey, sometimes it's sometimes it is. Sometimes there's sometimes there's a crappy sound going through one of the tracks, and we just have to gut that track. It's just gone. You know, and it's like ah. I, I listening back. I didn't realize I was doing that, but I was totally doing that. But and if so you that didn't tra- have it recorded, gone. you would have no no scope of it, and you can always exactly. try to recreate that again without said sound, having sure, sure, a reference, sure. right? Right. No, exactly. One hundred percent. So it's like, oh, okay, don't have that going or whatever the thing yeah. is or practice or, take. <laughs> exactly. So I like I like the limitations. I like because I've worked so much in the past, you know, whenever kind of getting a, uh, you know, the computer program that I can layer endlessly, et cetera, going back to limiting ourselves is kind of weirdly freeing. And I, I like that, that aspect of, of that's the approach to yellow gas lens, right? It's live, it's noise, and we have ideas and goals and how we want to do them. It's, but we're, but we're going, we're flying without a net. You know, we're not, it's whatever happens, happens. And if, right. if we do a two hour session and it just didn't work, well, it just didn't work. You know, and that's, we don't, we can't really go back. I like that. I like that. So that's, that's the process for yellow gas flames, but yeah. otherwise for empty DNA, failing lights, clay rendering, how much uh, computer is in use in what you do and how, and I know that was not the case for a long time. So how has that changed? 
uh, lay, it layering, and I think that's basically what I use it for is tracking. It's I don't use, um, I very rarely use stuff in the computer. The and if any, if any effects are being used, generally they're outside of the computer, right? So, for example, Spirit Obscured, I. I, I can't totally remember, but I would. It's safe to say that ninety nine percent of everything is done outside of the computer, and and then anything that that with the computer would be layering, uh, putting everything together. Yeah, sequencing and maybe an edit or a fade or yeah, something. Yeah, but right, but very minimal. And and actually, with Spirit of Security, I mean that that was a big learning. That I learned a lot from that because I went through a lot of f- versions of it, and the very I'll first say. versions, yeah, 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 <laughs> totally. And the very first versions had so much stuff on it, and I was once I realized I just got to strip stuff away. Then it then it actually showed itself. But before I thought I had to have this, or I thought I, it has to go this way, and I need to have this thing on top, and all this layering, and it was just like, man, that's not it. And so both in both. Spirit Obscured and New Year's Eve Dark Ambient are, I mean, very minimal layers on every track and many tracks being literally just one layer. And so with the computer, it's more, yeah, I mean, I like the ease of being able to put a track on top of a track and, and that, and same with, and that was same with clay rendering. It was, it's layering is what I use the computer for, but yeah, I, st- I still like to do the things outside of it, right? So yeah. I-, I like the things I, that happen out here, gets I filtered in the computer. And then can't I can't tell it. if we're like weird uh, antiquated holdovers on that. I feel like <laughs> I- I'm just so stuck in the like, yeah, I don't use soft synths. I don't use plugins really. I use for this podcast, I use a chain of like six plugins to make everything sound nice and cut out right. background noise and stuff. Like I have, I'm very, I have some very nice plugins. I just like don't use any of that stuff for making noise. And actually I was editing and mixing some noise on the computer a while back and I was doing it. I didn't realize in the template I have set up for this, for the podcast stuff, which already has the plugins assigned to channels. So there was weird noise reduction and stuff on oh, it. Right, that right. Wound up sounding really cool. I'm like, man, right. all right, noise reducing my noise tracks makes them like really strange sounding. And uh, I should maybe try and use that at some point. <laughs> right, but, right, right. But it's really just, yeah, from a functional standpoint, it's like the the editing, layering, mixing of things, but not really no generation of sound and not really much modifying of an actual sound more taking what I've got and putting it into, into place. And I feel like anyone younger than us is uses a computer in a more probably intuitive and integrated way in their setups. And I'm, I'm just now coming around to like, yeah, the, my last record was the first time I've used a computer to edit any hive mind aside from like, cutting a quick crossfade to cut out a part that I didn't like. Otherwise it's everything has been done live. Yeah. And, and I, and I'm, you know, again, my lack of gear knowledge uh, is equal to my lack of computer knowledge. So I, I've just never thought that way. Um, and again, I like working with 
other people who know better than me. And so here's what I can have. And I send it over, you know, the guy who mixed and mastered spirit obscured also did, uh, California black files, Dylan Neal. I mean, he's great. And he's, he knows, he knows what he's doing. And I send him like he, he mixed. I, that's the other, this is another important thing I think is giving, having, working with someone else to do mixing. And I think that's, especially with something like failing lights or clay running where there's maybe more clear sounds or more space or something like that. I loved having him mix that and he makes both those records. And I, I know I wouldn't have done, I know I wouldn't have thought to mix certain things the way he did. And I'm so, I'm so glad that he did. And I think just working with, again, I just think spreading it out and not thinking you have to do everything yourself. I don't, I don't think that way. I just don't. And having and mastering, I've fully, fully, understand how important mastering is in the past seven or eight years. I don't think I understood. I know I didn't understand that before. Dude, I know I didn't understand that before. I yeah. never, it didn't, I didn't understand what mastering was. I know that I didn't. And especially confusing because I didn't understand like when we would send off records to Aardvark and there was the mastering. Yeah. I thought that's what mastering was. Right, the difference between mastering the audio and cutting the cutting the lacquer, I no which idea. is also still a process where they're you know running EQ and doing whatever on it for how their thing is going to cut it. Generally, yeah, but I it's, have no idea. If you send it off without making sure it kind of sounds the way you want and is going to hit whatever format, then you're going to have some unpredicted results. And yeah. Yeah, that's why I did that trashware with Grant is because I it's I wanted him to talk about mastering and the yeah. importance of it and what because it is a big deal and even like even I just did the shredded nerve three inch and and Justin had it mastered by Eric Trude and it's like having someone oh, with yeah. that ear makes a makes a big difference it it it's gonna sound better it's just gonna sound yes. better uh, yes and say one of those traps we fall into and I thought this earlier when you were talking about having Terra play on the record is. You know, uh, like Ennio Morricone, heralded for his uh, compositional skills, fantastic uh, music, movie scores, all that stuff. But generally what he was doing is is composing. And then there, other people played that music. He didn't play the violin, the cello, the bass, the, the totally. timpani, the whatever. Other people played that. And we, we're talking about Ennio Morricone, not whoever played cello on whatever, on, you know, what a, once upon a time in the West or something like, right, 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 right. Because it's the creative vision is there and you can employ other people just, you know, uh, I mean, people as pedals, right. As Tara says, like the, yeah, right. The, you can utilize people and it's still your music and it's still something you're creating. If you say, Hey, I, I want to do this, but I can't do this. Can you do this? And you can collaborate with them and you can also just, uh, sort of, dictate like a composer and say, this is how this is supposed to be done. Do it, do it this way. But can you please do it? And well, in noise, we feel like we have to do everything. Yeah. And that's, I've totally gotten out of that mentality. That's clay rendering. I got out of the mentality of clay rendering and I understood that. And it's really funny. You say that because I I can't remember which track it is. It's on New Year's Eve's Arcane. It's one of the, one of the more composed tracks on that. And we, we, on, uh, because while we always record into the computer, a lot of times we do record on, say, a voice memo to, 
Yeah. We do sort of both, right? And Tara found us doing that, doing one of those tracks. And it's literally, it's like us sitting at the synth trying to do something. I can hear myself trying to do something. Then Tara does something. And at one point I say, yeah, yeah, that. But like not that, and then she's like, "Well, what about this?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, no that." And then and then I'll play something. I'm like, "I'm like, well, I need, I want this, but I want it to sound like this." And then so it's exactly how we wrote. It's exactly what we were doing. We were both. I'm like, no, this, but not this, but but that, but but in a way like that, but like a little different than that. Like, and that's that's sort of how we talk together, and so that's how we collaborate on things. So yeah, no, I mean that's why that's why it's listed. You know. I, I, you know, it's, yeah, it's, I think not thinking you have to do everything yourself. Once I realized that, I think my world opened up and there was no, I just, I stopped, it stopped limiting me because it stopped, my limits were my limits and I felt that I couldn't break out of that. But then yeah. once I realized, like, well, no, I, can just, I can talk to someone else or work with someone else who's good at that. Oh, this guy, this guy, Dylan, you know, I met, oh, he does mixing mastering. I heard, I can't remember what I had heard that he did that. I was like, Oh, that sounds great. Let me work with him. And I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. That's like having someone else mix it because you, cause you, cause they're hearing it completely fresh. I can only think of what I did. Absolutely. Yeah. You have you someone know? that's like, approaching it. That's not emotionally invested in it in yeah. the way you are. And that distance is really good. And also yeah. one of the things about recording stuff is how many of us have played a set that, you're like, ah, oh, man, that set sucked. And then you hear a record someone like three weeks later is like, hey, I recorded that set. They sent it to you. It sounds awesome. You don't remember oh, any man. of the stress of playing live, any of the things that you messed up. It just sounds good now. And yeah. because it's because you're removed from the emotion of that moment. Now you're connected to it still, of course, that it's your music, but you, you can hear something in it that you couldn't see, you know, can't see the forest for the trees kind of thing where you're just too in the moment. And same thing. I, I've recorded things and been like, that session didn't go very well. And then revisit it a month later. And you now have a fresh set of eyes because you're not, it's not the last thing you did. It's 10 things away from the last thing you did. And it, you it, can approach yeah. it freshly and someone else can come in and do the same thing. That's why when I was making the hive mind record, I got really lost in it. And I sent it to a few friends for like, what, what do you think about this? Like you, you gave me great feedback. Uh, my buddy, Jesse gave me some great feedback. It like really helped with my approach and, and kind of figuring out the next steps. And of course, feedback is just that, then you have to internalize it and then decide what you're going to do about it. Right. So of course, yeah, it's, it's really good to have someone make a suggestion and then you can kind of like figure out how to make that work for you. And it's, yeah, all too often we get caught up in having to do everything. I have to record myself. No, People in, in bands, you know, popular bands, whatever, they don't record themselves. They go to a studio and there's a team of people there, engineers and, and you know, that work, that mic things and record things. And that's what they know how to do. And they do it well. Noise. Well, we ain't got budgets for that. So we are used to recording ourselves and doing that stuff and having a home studio and mixing it. Well, I, I normally mix everything. I work a mixer. I've been using mixer since I started making noise. So I'll mix it. It's not the same thing having that ear and, and having that distance from it and like big rock records. Yeah. They might be mixed with the band in the room, but they're, they're mixed by someone who does mixing for a living and getting over those humps and 
having the connections to, you know, trade or a uh, favor or, or especially paying people, pay people for their work. It's awesome. Uh, you get quality work when you find someone who does a good job and you, and you pay them for it. I you, agree. I'd rather pay someone because they're, cause then they'll just do it. <laughs> right. That, right. That's totally my mentality. I, 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 that, I will say that's another thing that just sort of coming to that realization that it's like, yeah, I don't have to do everything. Like I don't have to do everything junk and budget and all this like i can just uh you know what's what's important yeah and i can you know hey you know what i'd rather give someone some money who knows what they're doing and they can do the thing that they do way better than i do so just like just like paying to have something pressed like you're paying to have a record pressed why go that far and then not why like you're going to pay you're going to invest in the record you're going to invest in the tape you're going to invest in the cd whatever there's then the, just a little bit more you're going to make it the <laughs> yeah. thing that you that you really want rather than compromising i guess i guess that's the thing i've learned too is to not compromising getting the vision that you are looking for and learning how to get that vision whether or not teaching yourself the things and then branching out with the people that are expertise that have their expertise in that area. And I think, I think that's just, that's the way to, I think that's the way I've been able to operate in the past few years, especially, and especially this past year is just not, not compromising vision and not limiting vision and also understanding what my strengths and weaknesses are and collaborating with people that way. And I think, I don't know. That's how I, that's how I operate. I still don't, I still feel, I don't know how, what I'm doing. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I still don't feel like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just stumbling I, through it. Yeah. I feel like I'm just constantly stumbling through it. So uh, we're, who knows? we're experimenting. It's experimental. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Awesome. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for hey. talking to me about all this stuff. I, this is fun. I had a good time. I, it's, it's, it is funny. I, it's a taste of taste of my own medicine, right? I'm, it, I, I do find it's hard to talk about my own stuff. I always have, I've always had a problem talking, not, not like a, I just feel I'm never able to talk about myself in the way that, I don't know that I think about it. Uh, so, but I also think doing this podcast has sort of helped me understand how to talk about everything. So, yeah. uh, this yeah. was, it was, it was a cool idea. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> I'll do that. I'll do trash where I don't know. I don't know if I have any, but I think there's probably a lot of people. There's, I'm sure there's people like who have the same lack of gear knowledge who do listen to something like trash where to sort of get ideas and, and, hear other people's takes and techniques. And I think, you know, I, 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 I think doing all the levels is, is interesting. I think that's what makes this series interesting. Yeah. Like, like I said, you're the, you're the first person here who I would say as emphatically said, like, I'm not a gear guy. And yeah, here we are talking about gear and technique yeah. and approach. And, and that's because you might not be a, a gearhead or something, but you, 
you have to use it and interface with it. We all do. It could just be a bottle cap and a contact mic. We could talk about that. You know, like it's, it can be whatever it is, but I, I, everyone has their own unique take and approach to it. I can't understate the, what we've been doing for the past two plus years. Oh yeah. I think (laughs) the way we listen to noise is a way that I like in, in some ways I feel like I never heard noise before the taro machine episode like you know what i mean like in a way i just feel that i i understand i i understand in a way i feel that i maybe thought i did but never did before and i think that has led to me understanding how to achieve the outcome the desired outcome in a way that i don't think i've ever understood before maybe I thought I did or maybe I understood it in a different way I don't know but I just feel like in the past three or so years I've understood these things in a way that I didn't understand before hell yeah so I think I think that deep listening is can't be understated multiple sessions weekly of deep listening I I love it it's yeah it's uh yeah the the Joy of the podcast brings me not only in interacting with people and hearing from people and talking about cool records, but also just sort of listening and appreciating and, and visualizing and both for me, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what gear they're using, what technique they're doing, how they made that sound, but also like letting the the music take you somewhere, letting these sounds just transport you, which is why for me, I listen to noise. Uh, it's not some weird clinical thing. I, I like to go on, a journey. I like to put something on and have it make me feel some ways. And Oh yeah. That's, you know, noise does that better than anything else. Noise does what other music can't and won't. And that's exactly what it does. And I, for one, I'm going to go listen to some noise right now. I think I have the Richard Ramirez uniform scene disc one in the player. So that was what I was listening to before. I may go back and pop that on again, or I may pop something else on. I don't know. I'm trying to think what's recently come through here. You know, we're uh, we're recording this on a Sunday, and last night, uh, Sunday in the UK, uh, David Padbury posted a photo of like "Get Right with God" sign, not the one from oh. the Condom album, but I I then of course quoted Condom back at him, and he does this uh, like Sunday service post every week on Twitter. I don't know. But I've decided today is a today is a condom day, so I'm going to throw get right with God and all in good faith, and maybe a couple other things on. Never a bad <laughs> decision. So I say you go do that. I'm going to put on whatever I end up putting on. It's going to be noise because that's what we listen to, and that's what I need right now in this Sunday. Gray, this is fun. It was. Thanks so much.